1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today I'm absolutely delighted to share a conversation that I had with Zach or Zachary Ahrens, who is the co founder and partner of the $40 million Metaprop PropTech Venture Capital Fund. And I want you to stick with me throughout the you know the entire episode on this one because as we go on, Zach shares some absolute pearls of wisdom and imparts some gifts to us as to how we could potentially follow in his footsteps. As he is a very successful investor into other real estate businesses and indeed entrepreneurs. There's so many of what I'd like to refer to as transferable skills that Zach just casually relays throughout the conversation, as you're about to hear right now.
0: Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter.
1: Well, here we are again. It's another episode of the Property Voice podcast. And we have another great guest today on our property heavyweights or real estate heavyweights podcast. uh, uh, series which is Zach Arons who is co-founder of MetaProp uh, based out of New York but certainly with an international reach and uh, an insights you're no doubt here Zach how are you how are you doing today are you good
2: i'm doing great thanks so much for having me
1: you're more than welcome it's a pleasure actually and um, we we you probably gather we've got an international audience and so my and my accent being british as you can probably tell um, i was in the states the other day and i did tell them i, I can speak you know both languages american english and US English. <laughs> i'll try and use some terminology interchangeably uh, well, obviously we say property you say real estate and things like that but um, it will all translate i'm sure but what I normally do is, is just maybe invite if you wouldn't mind for you just to give us a, a bit of an insight into into you and your backstory that's let's set the scene a bit so our listeners can understand a bit about who you are, and and then perhaps we'll we'll dig a bit deeper beyond that. Would would that be okay
2: with you? Yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, I can start right now. Please do. I started Metaprop with um, a couple partners back in 2015. I had already been investing in PropTech as an individual while I was working at a real estate company uh, here in the States, in New York called Millennium Partners, doing large-scale mixed-use development across the country. Got interested in what we now call prop tech. At the beginning of this decade, started aggressively investing in early-stage companies looking to create efficiencies through technology. Got really, really excited about the space. Um, Met my partners in 2015, decided to uh, go bigger, with uh, with the idea that that prop tech was really here to stay and was going to transform the industry long term over the next few decades, and so we created MetaProp, uh, which its current iteration in 2019 is a venture capital fund uh, focused on the prop tech sector, currently investing out of a forty million dollar fund, um, writing between half a million and a million dollar checks into early stage. Prop tech companies, we look at companies within different asset types within real estate. So that's industrial, office, retail, single family residential, multifamily residential hospitality. Then we also look to invest at different places on the value chain from the dirt to disposition of any particular assets. So we like to invest in technology that is is helping uh, whether you're a broker or a landlord or a property manager or a building engineer or a title insurance agent, or a lawyer, or an architect, or a plumber, we want to invest in technology that enables you to do your job faster, better, cheaper. And in some cases, we want to invest in technology that maybe does your job for you. Um, The robots are coming. (laughs) They're not coming that quickly, but they are coming, and we're investing in them. So we look at every single choke point within a real estate transaction. And we're trying to invest around it and empower the professionals within it to uh, increase their efficiency. And and we've seen sort of the power of software and hardware solutions impact so many other professionals in other industries uh, and help them do their jobs much, much better and much, much faster. And that's really starting to explode in the real estate sector. And that's one of the many things that's really exciting uh, for us, as, as as we sit here in 2019, looking to invest in in the in, in the next generation of, of what the property business is going to look like long term.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you may have gathered that I um, also have an interest in the prop tech uh, scene, but I am I'm, I'm sort of can, I came at it from a an interested investor and developer who pursued this sort of curiosity. With what is uh, what is prop tech, and indeed, I've shared with you before we came on air that I shared uh, a, a whole series on prop tech for our audience for the Property Voice podcast uh, last year, and it culminated in a book. And uh, by the way, I know you've also got a book on the theme, so no doubt we'll we'll get we'll get, we'll mention that at some point. Uh, the point of really mentioning that is that some of the feedback I got from my audience, and bear in mind, these are mainly investors and developers and some service providers into the industry, was that, um, well, does it really affect me today? Is it really relevant? Uh, do I need to make any change? Of course, we know that the real estate industry, the property industry is a bit slow moving, let's say, compared to other sectors. So I think where I'm going with this is to say, I, I, and clear, if you've been interested and indeed active for a decade in the segments that you're, you're a visionary, aren't you?
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a valid point. Not, not everybody does need it. Not everybody does want it. Um, but we, we are at a point where we can show irrefutable empirical data that proves to skeptics <laughs> that, embracing technology and a culture of innovation it's not just about using a bunch of technology that's a misconception it's about embracing a culture of open innovation which all that means is a, a embracing a willingness to try things and fail yeah. that's really all it means so so we're seeing the real estate service providers owners and investors who take that seriously we are seeing that empirically drop down to increased NOI. Uh And that that is accretive to NOI in a number of different ways. It could be about leveraging a bunch of software platforms that cut out, um, that enable you, someone to transact more deals, right? Which is a revenue growth uh, opportunity. It can be leveraging hardware and software to eliminate energy expenses across a portfolio of office buildings, um, which also drops down in a meaningful way to NOI. It can be adopting a tech-enabled tenant amenity solution that uh, increases retention. You know, in a, in, a, in um, y'all in in the UK, you don't have multifamily, right? Build to let, you call it. Uh, right? we,
1: yeah, well, yeah, we have built to rent and we have HMOs, houses of multiple occupancy, which is the same as your multifamily, I think.
2: Yeah, so let's take HMOs, you call them? Yeah, HMOs, so yeah. If I can show you data that suggests that leveraging this type of technological amenity for tenants massively uh, increases retention and lease renewal, that is a that is a tough thing for even the the most ardent skeptic to refute um, that it's actually working. So for the first time, we're seeing real data coming back that suggests that uh, NOI increases when when people embrace this movement. And uh, that's what every real estate owner I've ever met wants. (laughs) (laughs) They, I don't know a single real, I've never met a real estate owner that says, you know what? I really wish the NOI on this, um, office building I owned was lower than it is today. Um, so anyway, you know, I, 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 appreciate the, the continued skepticism. Um, I will continue to engage the most ardent skeptics and try to convert them until I'm carried out of New York city in a casket. That is my job. I'm um, so, pretty, pretty, you know.
1: sure, pretty sure we'll, we'll witness that. Actually, there's some clues to your uh, activity <laughs> levels, Zach. To be honest, I wanted to come back to, but just just one thing. So NOI, net operating income, I guess. Um, so yeah, yeah. NOI uh,
2: is net operating income. So that's that's the real estate metric that that the the bulk of the people we talk to who are in the industry care about uh, increasing.
1: Cool. Yeah, probably net profit. We'd sometimes talk about uh, also other metrics like return on investment. But basically, it's it's all about the bottom line, right? So, um,
2: yeah. yeah, it's how much you make. But it's money. interesting, but separating NOI from ROI is important, too. So yeah. so when we talk to real estate people and they say, well, why should I be? Why, why should I? I understand why I want to be a customer of these technologies now. Like you've convinced me of that. OK, Zach, you showed me this data. You convinced me of that. Why do I also want to be an investor in this company, right? Why can't I just be a customer? And that's an interesting nuanced question. And frankly, it's not for everybody to become an investor. Um, there are certain structural issues associated with some real estate companies looking to invest in operating businesses, similar to the ones I've mentioned, whether it's tech enabled tenant amenity or um, some sort of uh, sensor system for uh, uh, a building systems that helps reduce energy. So what we say is if you invest, you have skin in the game, you have the potential for ROI growth and multiples and multiples of ROI, as well as expansion of NOI or net profit or whatever your bottom line metric that you care about in your building is. Mm -hmm. Um, And in addition to having the opportunity to make, you know, um, well, you can, if it goes poorly, you obviously lose money, but if the, the, the upper bound of the amount of money you can make on a technology investment is, is higher, uh, than almost any real estate investment. So there's that potential for sure. But then there's also the idea that having a seat at the table early on with these companies and helping them mold their product to, um, really solve your pain points is, uh, immensely valuable both to the company and to the uh, real estate investor, who's ultimately become the now investor and the customer simultaneously. So part of what we do all day at Metaprop is try to facilitate, create and accelerate those types of virtuous feedback loops as they can exist between technology entrepreneurs and real estate investors.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, uh- I'm I'm operating you know both both ends of that myself actually I'm a believer I'm a believer Zach so you you, it's not me need to convince I'm definitely a believer and I'm trying to implement actually um, a number of prop tech innovations into my own business model uh, even as we speak Uh, but equally I'm in a small way investing in some of these uh, startup operations too you you may have heard of. Um, some of the crowdfunding platforms like CrowdCube, Cedars. we have. These may be very UK-based. I don't know if they transition. I'm, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with them.
2: Yeah, so we, we we do a fair bit of um of work in the UK. Um, we backed uh, one company over there, and we're always looking. Um, so we're we I would say reasonably familiar with the with the with the space over there.
1: Yeah, and and if nothing else, I just enjoy being on the inside and just seeing what's coming through. Um, you know, yeah. I, I personally think it's a great part of my own uh, research as to what's coming through um, in the marketplace, and um, so so that's one reason why I'm in it. And I've also got some skin in the game, as you call it, with some small investments in some of these operations. But the reason I mention that particularly is what you, the second point you mentioned about almost partnering and growing together, and um, there's a couple of smaller businesses who, you know, I'm starting to talk to about doing exactly that. And, you know, they're saying, well, you know, we're, we've got a platform, but we'd like to, you know, it's, it's kind of early stages. We'd like to grow this with you in mind. You're one of our avatars or customer target customers. And we'd like to maybe grow that out. Would you maybe join us with, you know, a sort of a beta version, uh, and help us grow yeah. that out. And so I think there's a lot of merit in that. I do support what you're saying there. Um, and indeed, just uh, moving up the sort of supply chain, if you like, or the, the, the innovation chain, I'm actually trying to utilize some of the technology myself in my own business. So an example of that would be if you, property managers, you call in the States, we call letting agents in the UK. Um, there's been you know, a massive increase in cost that's landed on the, you know, the lap, if you like, of uh, letting agents recently because of legislation changes in the UK market. And um, what their response was, essentially, was to pass this cost on to landlords. Um, Essentially, they can't charge fees uh, to tenants anymore. So they have to charge or they say they have to charge more to landlords. So what I said to a particular agent who said that to me, I said, why don't you embrace technology? Why don't you use technology to reduce your cost base so that you don't have to charge? You know, you you don't need to recover that fee. And of course, it, it it didn't it didn't go down too well, Zach. To be honest with you, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. But one of the things I'm doing is using the technology myself to replace them. So actually, they're going to be, you know, if they don't wise up to it. They won't exist anymore. So I. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, what do you think about that?
2: <laughs> I, I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts. I mean, I want to just unpack <laughs> what you said into a handful of categories. Um, so. The idea that we always come up with, come up against, I should say, what I would call misaligned incentives when we are trying to sell a technology product into a complex real estate process within a multifaceted real estate organization. And I often tell the entrepreneurs who I am advising that you often need to make four sales of the same product within one organization, and you need to sell each person on different uh, touch points in your process that will get them excited. So what do I mean by that? And then I'll answer your question directly. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say you have – let's take this energy-saving company. I, I, I suggested earlier, within one organization, let's say it's an office owner and manager, you have to convince the property manager to use it. You have to convince the uh, manager of the building, the building engineer to use it. And then oftentimes you have to convince the chief information officer, chief technology officer to embrace it. And you also may have to convince someone in the C-suite with the dollar amounts high enough. And each of these players care about something totally different. And have totally different goals. The property manager cares about NOI, net profit, pretty much exclusively. So, if you can show that person that profit goes up, they're going to want to adopt the technology. The building engineer doesn't really care about net profit. The building engineer cares about his or her staff, and the building engineer cares about their running the building efficiently. So, you want to sell the building engineer on one, not this technology is not going to replace you. And two, that this is going to increase efficiency in your building and not be a pain in the ass to install. <laughs> you also have to sell the C-suite. The people in the C-suite care about the culture of the organization and recruiting and retention of employees, past, present, and future. So there, you're going to want to say to that person, well, if you embrace this technology, that, that signals to the market that you're doing open innovation and more people are going to want to come work here instead of at your competitor." Fourth member is the CIO, the technology person, the person that has to make sure the printers work every day, the person that has to make sure your technology stack, your accounting data that's in you know in the UK it'd be in Cube or whatever, in New York in New York it'd be in Yardy, that that's not getting hacked. Mm-hmm. So what do they care about? They don't care about NY. They don't care about the operations of. The, they care about the operations of the building, similar to the engineer. They don't really care about culture. They care about security encryption. Yeah. So you have to sell your product to them as. something being super secure easy to integrate with the 30 other technologies you're deploying and um super safe so anyway so that's what we do all day is, is is training coach people and sometimes by the way to your point earlier you'll reach a choke point where the incentives are so misaligned and then you have to cut bait and rethink your whole strategy so as it relates to these um to the dynamic you were mentioning earlier that they didn't want to embrace the technology, you have two choices. One, you have to sell someone else and sort of force their hand, um, which is a really, really tough sale. Or two, you have to actually try to cut them out of the process. And that's a potentially lucrative thing, but also a potentially dangerous thing because it can sometimes lead to no business. Um, So in my example, let's say you tried to cut out the building engineer Well, you're going to hit a roadblock because who's going to actually physically install the hardware necessary for that solution to work? Uh, Whereas if you hit a roadblock, say, in the C-suite and you can't convince the CEO, maybe the deployment is so small that the property manager combined with the building engineer can sneak it into the budget, right? So you have to constantly, part of what we're training people to do is to constantly evaluate your sales funnel. And figure out what's working and what's not and iterate instead of banging your head against the brick wall, which in PropTech is super easy to do because it's so complicated because you're dealing with the built world and it's fundamentally harder than selling software to software companies, right? A, A lot of people come into this industry from Silicon Valley and they're used to solving digital problems with digital solutions. In our industry, we have real built world problems and we're looking to solve them with digital solutions, which is super complicated. Yeah, yeah I mean,
1: um, what, what I'm doing here is uh, I'm, I'm listening intently because um, part of what this series is all about is is to, is to provide opportunity for some of our audience to, to learn from what our guests have done. And I'm looking for transferable uh, skills and knowledge Quite a lot here, and I think one of the main things—it was actually something I really wanted to get out of you in our conversation today—was this idea that you have multiple uh, sales uh, met- you know, methods, if you like, or, or people to sell to. The four, the four distinct people you've spoken to there. Well, that's a very transferable um, skill set, uh, piece of knowledge that anybody in any business, actually, regardless of whether it's real estate, property, or otherwise. Um, can take on board because there are different stakeholders and they do have different interests. So you need to find out, figure out what the stakeholder, who the stakeholders are, yeah. and then figure out what what their interests are and then actually solve it. So that was just wanting to make. That I, I couldn't agree more.
2: I, yeah. I spent I spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars on Columbia Business School and it was a fantastic experience. But the number one thing I took out of it for that amount of money. Was that different people in organizations have different misaligned incentives. So maybe somebody could have told me that I wouldn't have <laughs> had to spend all that money. But um, it's yeah. it's immensely important, and 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 things actually started to click for me career wise when I started to understand that. And I remember in hindsight, a lot of my, um, a lot of the entrepreneurial things I was doing in my early twenties before I went to business school and learned that piece of information. I was frequently frustrated because I just couldn't understand why people didn't want to do something. Yeah. And now I, I have trained myself to, every time I go into a situation, understand what someone's incentives are, motivations are, um, and address them accordingly, um, yeah, an and an then an you can old, get more deals done.
1: Absolutely. An old boss of mine, he was a wise uh, sage, I think. He always said to me, he said, Richard, always look for the personal motive. And um, that really yeah. stuck with me. I was a young man when he said that. And then I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know? But uh, I kind of, <laughs> kind of get it now. Uh, and it's exactly the point you're making. Um, is that, Actually, you kind of talked about your early 20s and you're trying to figure things out. I, I'd kind of like to go back to that sort of time if it's okay. Because, you know, today you've got, you know, multi-million pound venture capital investment fund which has got an international reach. And, you know, the people. some people listening to this today, well, they don't have that, uh, frankly, not yet. Um, and maybe they want to aspire not necessarily to that, but certainly to a path or a journey similar to maybe the one you've taken. Um, would you mind sort of dialing yeah. back the clock a little bit and just talk about how you got going and what sort of steps that did you take and maybe some lessons learned along the way?
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know, uh, I, I want to, I want to make it pretty clear that I, I kind of started, well, y'all don't have baseball over there, whatever the cricket <laughs> equivalent is starting on, on third base. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was born into a, a family um, of means. I, I had uh, all the best sort of education uh, that money could buy. I grew up in, New York City, um, and immersed in, um, culture, uh, education, uh, intellectualism, business, um, from a very early age. Uh, so I, but I did, I, I did wander around, um, for a while and I was, I was running a startup. That focused on travel and tourism as a walking tour startup here in New York City. We were doing in-person walking tours. We were also trying to build technology to take walking tours offline into the. This was actually pre-iphone onto the iPod. Uh, and what happened was that that business that I that a, a friend of mine uh, who I grew up with sort of recruited me into, that business was exciting, but very challenging in terms of building the technology. Neither of us had a technology background. We didn't know how to code. The open source movement was really just getting off the ground. So you didn't have things like GitHub and Stack Overflow and all these communities where you could like figure out how to, how to build stuff online. Frankly, we didn't have, um, We didn't have customizable templates uh, to the extent that you do now with sites like Squarespace and VIX. So there's a lot more out there if you're if you're just starting off today as a a tech entrepreneur than there was sort of in 2007 um, when I was first trying to do this. But what grew out of my frustration with my own inability to build technology was an appreciation for people who did know how to build technology and then a desire to invest in those people. And so I was lucky enough that I had a uh, little bit of money saved up personally, a uh, little bit of family money that my family uh, allowed me to use. And I started aggressively investing it in companies that were targeting not the real estate sector, but they were targeting the sector I was interested in, which was essentially mobile travel and tourism. Uh, And once I started making a couple of those investments, I got really uh, addicted to working with early stage entrepreneurs and the excitements and the vicissitudes and everything that comes with it. um, I just found absolutely intoxicating. (laughs) And, what ended up happening sort of concurrently to my intoxication with the startup world was I really got tired um, running this tour guide business. And my dad who had a real estate project at the time and, and still has this project, this company, Millennium Partners, which I mentioned earlier, had a project in Hollywood, California in Los Angeles. And they were looking for someone who knew, how to leverage social media and content marketing. And this was about 2010. Right. And social media marketing was still a relatively new thing. You know, Facebook launched in 05, Twitter in 07, Instagram was barely around in 2010. Very few companies were marketing online. Buddy Media had just launched in 09, sort of help with that. So it was totally unheard of for a real estate company to be leveraging social media. So I went and worked on that. And while this was going on, so, so again, I have this disjointed thing going on. I'm I'm working on this real estate project, doing technology, social media, content marketing. I'm investing in these businesses. And then I'm also going to business school because I'm kind of lost and I don't know what I want to do with my life (laughs) while I'm in business school. I'm in a venture capital class with, um, Another student in that class uh, was a gentleman named Zach Schwarzman who ended up becoming my partner in Metaprop. So it's important to go to business school if you can afford it um, for that reason as well, the sort of networking reason. But anyway, our professor was an adjunct. He was and still is a a very formidable, um, uh, uh, successful venture capitalist in, in New York. Gentleman named Stu Elman of RRE Ventures. And Stu essentially told me that because I had this focus on technology and this focus on real estate, I needed to jettison my investments in travel tourism tech and exclusively focus on the real estate world and go really, really deep into real estate technology. And that was gonna be my thing. And he told me that he had just raised a fund and he was really good at spotting trends and he didn't know about the real estate world, but he knew that what we now call prop tech was kind of gonna explode. Mm -hmm. And this is around 2011, this is happening. And so I just took his advice. I just said, okay, Stu, I'll do it. And then I just decided that this was what my focus was going to be on. And I was going to aggressively find every entrepreneur in the space I could within North America. And I was going to either make friends with them or invest in their company or hopefully both. And I went and did it. Uh, and, and I, because no one else was doing it at the time, there were two or three other people doing it the few of us became well-known relatively quickly um, because there was a lot less noise. And so entrepreneurs, it was really a breath of fresh air when they got on the phone with me. And I was like, you know, you can skip the slide five. Like you don't need to talk to me about the market size of the commercial real estate market. Like I know how big it is. I work for a commercial real estate developer. And that was such a, that was such a shock to these folks who had been, walking up and down Sand Hill Road looking for money from really talented venture capitalists, but not necessarily venture capitalists who had experience in the industry, that it was you know, relatively easy for me to make a name for myself. And then once I had that name and I got introduced to Aaron Block, who, who started Metaprop, his pitch to me was, let me just amplify your voice. I'm really good at amplifying people and creating infrastructure around people. And so let me create something to amplify your voice and your influence and your capital base. And I said, that sounds great too, right? So I think, a, you know, a lesson, like go with the flow a little bit, <laughs> but like work your, you know, work your ass off. But like when someone gives you a good piece of advice, take it. Or someone offers you something, take it. Don't feel guilty about taking it. I told Aaron, he said, he said, I want to do this with you. I want to do Metaprop with you. I want to start Metaprop with you. And I said to him, I said, I'm, I would love to do it with you, but you have to set up everything. <laughs> and he said, okay, I'll do <laughs> it. And so when someone is willing to do something like that for you, except their, um, and this wasn't, you know, he didn't exclusively do this out of generosity. He had a capitalist men- mindset as well, obviously he wanted to create a business that theoretically, you know, creates wealth and prosperity and jobs and all that. But, But when someone like that offers to do something, just accept the offer. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel you know weird about it. Just say yes and ask for stuff. There's this amazing Steve Jobs clip that I'm sure many of your listeners have seen when he's talking about that people don't get things because they don't ask for things. And they assume that people are going to intuit, people are going to read their minds, know they want something and give it to them. (laughs) <laughs> and that's just not how the world works. Like you don't get stuff unless you ask for it. And his main example was he wanted to he was so obsessed with technology from like the time he was like five, six years old. And back in the day he grew up in 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 Silicon Valley in Palo Alto or Menlo Park, one of those towns. And he wanted to work at Hewlett Packard for the summer. He was like 12 years old or something crazy. And he called Bill Hewlett the founder of Hewlett Packard, his number was in the phone book <laughs> and he asked him for an internship on the spot. Yeah, right. And Bill Hewlett's like, well, how old are you? He's like, well, I'm 12. He's like, just laughed. He's like, all right, come this summer. I'll put you on like some assembly line, like making like, you know, transistor parts, whatever he was doing. Uh-huh. But like the, the, the chutzpah to just call him in the phone book and ask for that. That's why that's part of the reason there's many other, you know, and he's a complicated, imperfect man, but there are many other reasons why Steve Jobs achieved greatness. But that is a, a fundamental—you know—one one major, major leg of the stool was just his his willingness to ask people for things.
1: Yeah, amazing. I mean, I, I have heard that story um, as you as you suggest. You know, I and probably others would have done. It. It's an amazing story. But um, as you're relaying what you're relaying there and some of your stories, there's a couple of really key things. There's actually quite a lot, but. There's some I particularly wanted to talk to you about. And, and one is, uh, if I'll just say both of them, and then maybe we can take it from there. One was, uh, if I say the word hustle to you, um, that was something, it's evident in what you've said, but also uh, I, I think I listened to another podcast of yours where you talked about hustling and you kind of, you know, achieve success through the hustle. Um, and, and work. you said work your ass off, and that's kind of a, a little hint towards that perhaps. I know you've talked about other things like taking great advice and taking opportunities that come your way. That was, so the first one was about hustle. The second thing was all about you talked about amplify. Uh, someone was going to, Aaron was going to amplify your voice uh, or uh, amplify your content marketing. But I think another word could be leverage. And um, you, I think if I'm right in, in understanding it, is your property uh, VC fund around about $40 million, something of that order, is it? Um,
2: yeah, the current, fund, the current fund we're investing out of is, is $40 million. Um But we, our long-term plan with Metaprop is to create a global, scalable investments platform that has many different fund vehicles and many different strategies and many different geographies, but all focused around, around prop tech.
1: Yeah, but the key point there being, and you know, uh, I guess that, that $40 million and what it's going to grow to is not all your personal funds, I take it. You're bringing in uh, outside investment. So you're attracting investment partners to come into your fund, if I'm reading that correctly.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we have we have a group of fantastic uh, limited partners that represent 15 billion uh, square feet uh, owned and managed globally of all types of real estate. And uh, they're they're very supportive uh, of us. Some of the largest real estate organizations uh, in the world uh, that that embrace, you know, this culture of technology and open innovation. We're lucky to have them.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I was really curious to to speak to you, Zach. Was one of the hustle, <laughs> um, you know, and you know, and I'm sure it isn't. You talked earlier about your education, so you're a smart guy. I'm absolutely, you know, sure of that. But also the hustle. So it's being smart and also putting yourself out there. Um, the second thing is this, this this idea of leveraging to make make yourself go bigger. So whether it's amplification of your voice through marketing, or whether it's yeah. you know partnering with uh, funds or private investors or family offices to make your investment fund, you know, go further. How did you do that? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, um, (laughs) so the hustling part I can, I can talk to first, you know, they're, 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 after getting that advice from Stu in 2011, I could have said, okay, I'm going to be the, Mr. PropTech, but I'm not going to let anybody know about it. And I'll take, I'll be reactive if people send me deals, um, and opine on them, but otherwise I'm going to go about my day. Um, instead of that, I spent hours and hours a day trolling on platforms like AngelList looking for investor in investments. And when I would see the glimmer of an entrepreneur that looked like they were working on something interesting. I would DM them on AngelList and some of my best deals from that period, we're talking 11, 12, 13, came from just being really active, aggressive, not in a weird way, but like going after these entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurs, I almost never, if it was a prop tech deal and I DM the entrepreneur, they, they would almost always message me back because I look like someone that would at least be at worst interesting to talk to for 20 minutes. And that's potentially, you know, a multi-year friend and investor. So I was able to, um, but, but again, I was doing that, you know, a lot of people, there are a lot of people who I meet nowadays who they don't understand that like while they were, you know, popping bottles at marquee, like I was at home like on Angel list at one in the morning, like looking for entrepreneur, you know, like I didn't like no one gave this to me. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. like uh yeah, I, I did start on third base as I mentioned, but but a lot of it was just, you know, getting out there. And then on the amplification front, yeah, you know, venture capital as a business doesn't scale. Right? So how do you set up your organization with personnel, technology and culture? To do what we do, which is essentially help prop tech entrepreneurs get in front of real estate investors, how do you scale that? And it's tough, but you you put together a team, you do all you do things like podcasts <laughs> to get your <laughs> message out there. You do things like write books, right, like Prop Tech 101. Um, you do things like you know I teach a class at Columbia University, so you do things like that that create network effects, right, like. All of a sudden, I've now been teaching at Columbia for three years. I now have a network of 150 former students that I can leverage, right? And, and through PropTech 101, with all the, the, the books we've disseminated, right, like we now have people who understand our methodology around the world, and, and hopefully we'll you know, have the opportunity to, to scale that through, through audio and, and through language translation and, 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 and different things like that, right? But how do you do that? It takes time. It takes work. It takes someone. I mean, frankly, you know, Aaron Block, my partner, is, a, is, is an expert at scaling operating companies. And he's done that before um, a couple of times. And he's doing it again now. And I think the, you know, if you look at our partnership, which confusingly, everybody's named Zach or Aaron or Zach Aaron's. We have, Even though we have the same names, we have a (laughs) complementary skill set that enables us. And then the people here at the organization also have the complementary skill set where you're able, if you find partners who don't have too much um, redundancy with you, then you're able to scale a lot faster, right? So Zach's really an expert at venture capital. I'm really an expert at working with, at doing things like this. And Aaron's really an expert at business building. So the combination of those three, and then plus amplified by a staff and technology solutions we're using can get you, look, you're never. we're never going to be like Slack or Zoom, right? Or Salesforce.com or Google, right? We're never going to be that scalable. But how do you be more scalable than, you know, the traditional analog model of, of venture capital where it was like very reactive, very relationship based? You know, a handful of partners like underwriting deals that in today's reality with how fast the market moves that that doesn't work. It's too competitive unless you are it still works for benchmark capital. If you're at the top, top, top of the game, it still works. Mm -hmm. But if you're, you know, still trying to build a name for yourself and a reputation for yourself and a reputation for your entire um, asset class basically, then you can't really operate that way. You can't expect talented entrepreneurs to just like find you. Yeah, You have to be out there and you need to be out there in a thoughtful way. So it doesn't cripple your core business, right? I'm talking to you on this podcast right now. Okay. Yeah. It's not, I, it is not my job to do podcasts. It is my job to invest capital in crop tech companies. Yep. Okay. So what's important and, and and why do I bring that up? Well, if I didn't have somebody managing everybody here, I wouldn't be able to go on this podcast because the investing activity wouldn't get done. Yeah. But because we have an infrastructure, I'm able to go on the podcast. And because I'm able to go on the podcast, I can help my brand in ways that I wouldn't if I was just doing deal work right now and I can potentially source an entrepreneur or ten entrepreneurs yep. or ten investors, whatever it is, right? so so it's about so like when I say get out there, like don't just get out there and do hundred podcasts and ignore your day job, right because that's a that's a disaster, right? Like like you need to have an infrastructure set up so that you can ensure that the the, the organization is firing on all cylinders. and if you're not firing on all cylinders, you have to be really, really um, ruthless about cutting out the stuff that's non-core, right? So, like, let's say, for example, you know, God forbid we weren't getting the deal flow that we usually get every week, right? Where I'm getting, like, awesome prospect deals in my inbox, right? And I had scheduled your podcast and three other podcasts for that week, Right. Like maybe I should probably cancel those podcasts, no offense. And like go try and find some deals. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's the it's the totally. ability to do that and 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 it's it's running our business. Like we give the same advice to to, to our entrepreneurs, right? Yep. And so we're trying to eat our own dog food, right? Like, why am I gonna give an entrepreneur like to tie back to what I was talking about earlier? Let's say you reach a point where you know you can't make a sale right? Like, why are you, why am I telling that entrepreneur to cut bait? And I'm not following my own advice. I'm not cutting bait in my own business when I see the same signals, right? So, so a big part of it is about running a venture capital firm or a private equity firm in a similar, even though it's never going to be in scalable operating business, in a, using some of the techniques that we, you know, practicing with what we preach effectively, right? Like we were I joke around. We were, we were investing in like robots and artificial intelligence and drones. And we were like underwriting the deals on an abacus. (laughs) And it took like, it took like actually like some of the junior folks here to approach us as the partners and say, Hey, like, here's a, here's a healthy glass of cold water on your face in the same way (laughs) way you would pour it on your entrepreneur. Like you all need to get serious about adopting technology internally. And so we now have, whether it's the 20 some odd technologies we're using in our office physically at PropTech Place or the three or four different technologies like Affinity and Superhuman that we leverage for our own venture capital practice, we are now adopting technology and, and eating our own dog food in that, in that way too.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, so many good things you say there. And by the way, I, I probably can point at least at least one or two uh, aspiring entrepreneurs in your direction. So it might not be completely worthless to have come on this podcast. <laughs> 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 it's just Richard pushing a couple of contacts in your your way, Zach. So, but I think actually the point is you're going to amplify. you going to amplify um, to our audience, and I, I can imagine there's going to be prop tech on, you know, aspiring prop tech entrepreneurs reaching out to you, and potentially also. And this is the second part. I just wanted to pick up. I'm a bit conscious of your time time here, so I don't want to sort of overrun. But no, we can we can keep going. Okay, cool, cool. The, so really, what I wanted to get into the second part is because you've talked a lot about sort of your outward focus. What I mean by that is looking for the businesses, looking for the entrepreneurs, um, you know, to bring into your business who you can fund and who you can support, and obviously help turn into into a, a progressive business going forward. Um, it's this it's the back office part it's the money behind you. I kind of wanted just to go back to that a little bit because as yeah. I, as I mentioned, it wasn't all your personal funds it was you had to attract funds in so you have to convince with convince people to buy into your vision, <laughs> not only buy into your vision but actually part with their their cold, hard cash and presumably entrust you to make the decision you know more often than not I guess but how do you how do you go about that sort of process so that's another transferable skill yeah you know the yeah well I,
2: I'll, I'll i'll tie that back to uh, another thing we, we were talking about earlier the NOI versus the ROI yeah so when i started when we were fundraising for fund 2 which is the current vehicle we're investing out of <clears throat> we became a lot more successful at fundraising when we when we moved the conversation to NOI and we moved it away from ROI and what do i mean by that so Our investors, as I mentioned, are strategic capital for the real estate sector, representing 15 billion square feet globally. They want, if they can squeeze a 100 basis point increase across their portfolio on NOI globally, at the scale that some of these folks operate at, that is massive. Right? Pick your cap rate, right? That is a massive value creation event.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. If they can also invest money with us that we triple, quadruple, sextuple, or, you know, yeah. maybe more, that is like the cherry on top. That is the icing on the cake. And I think I'm very good at my job. So I think I'm going to deliver that ROI. So our pitch is NOI through engagement with these companies and ROI through investment in these companies and careful curation. Because what happens is when you're a big real estate company and you plant a flag and you say, we are open for open innovation, right? Then every Yahoo entrepreneur from the four corners of the earth immediately emails you, you get deluged, You're looking at 2000 companies. You have no way to, to engage. And so all you do is turn off the spigot. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we go into a, strategic real estate operator, we say, help us understand your business, help us understand your goals, help us craft for you a roadmap for prop tech engagement. One of those things hopefully will, one of the, one leg of that stool will will hopefully be an investment in the Metaprop fund, whichever one we, we happen to be raising at the time. But we will also recommend that you get involved in direct investments, that you set up an aggressive but thoughtful pilot program for testing new technologies, that you go and sponsor, um, events, uh, uh, globally, uh, for cultural purposes. And we sort of provide people a roadmap and a budget for doing this. And we say, take a look, you know, figure out what your goals are, and we'll help you, we'll essentially be your Proptex Sherpa and help you navigate this challenging journey. And we're not, you know, we're not doing it because we're, you know, the, the 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 most amazing philanthropists in the world. We're doing it because it in the end of the day usually results in part of that allocation being allocated to the Metaprop fund. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, but we're not we, we don't come at it with from a place of arrogance where we say, you know, you can just invest in MetaProp and that's your silver bullet, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're like fine, prop tech wise. Cause that's just not true. You need to do multiple funds that focus on different geographies and different stages. You need to do multiple different uh, direct investments and you need to get involved in the community in many different ways, right? Whether it's sponsoring your podcast or, or sponsoring the, um, you know, MIPM PropTech Summit in New York, right? Like, mm-hmm. you need to be the most successful players, and most importantly, you need to be you need to be using this stuff, right? And you need to have a program set up internally so that you can test this stuff out without it being massively distracting to your core business and without you wanting to tear your hair out. And if you get all those pillars, you will become you will transform your organization. And we write about this extensively in PropTech One Hundred and One. Mm-hmm. Um, But that is, so when we walk in, so if you ask, well, how do you, how are how do you guys raise money? We walk in with that holistic pitch as a potential long-term partner for an organization, instead of walking in with this very transactional, you know, here's this fund, here's our track record, you know, you invest a dollar today, we'll give you five back in, you know, seven to 10 years. Like that just doesn't resonate, Um, you know, but, but the, the, the holistic cultural approach, the NOI growth with the ROI growth, that, that resonates with people because it's real.
1: Well, I mean, there's so many good takeaways already in, in what you just said. I think, you know, just trying to align keep to your sort of investment partners, goals and business objectives. And, and as you say, if you can deliver an NOI saving or a profit saving, then to some extent, you said cherry on top. That was actually your words, wasn't it? With um, if the investment also produces a, a return on investment, it is a cherry on top because They've already benefited from from that particular investment, utilizing it in their business. And there's so many things we can we can sort of – we can apply from that. So thank you for sharing. Um, just conscious of the time. The only things I really wanted to get out, and I'll let you choose, Zach. I'm going to let you choose
2: where we Amazing. go. Amazing. Yeah, you get to Like, let's it. make a deal.
1: Yeah. So um, – uh, the things I'd normally like to get out, I think it shines through, frankly, things like your values, but equally any tips and advice for people who may be starting out or early stages of their journey. And then, of course, I want to ask about perhaps how people can find out about you, your book, and, and Metaprop. So they're the, they're the three main things on my list. I don't know if we have time for all of them, but that's why I said I'll let you choose um, being conscious again of your time. Yeah, I would
2: say advice for how people get started is. Similar advice I took is is pick a really really narrow part of the industry where you can credibly convince someone that you are the best in the world at it or one of the best in the world, and then look for opportunities based on that. Um, nine years ago, I had prop tech was still so small that I could say I was Mister Prop Tech and that. Was enough. Yeah. Nowadays, it's not enough because so many people are running around the globe saying they're, you know, Monsieur, Madame, crop tech, right? So you have to be even more narrow than that. So I'm going to be the expert as it relates to waterfront resiliency for megalopolises and the software and hardware that's going to go into making cities more resilient over the next ten years to climate change. Right. That would be like an idea, but that has to be backed up by actual experience. Right. (laughs) Like you can't you can't also like pretend to be something you're not just because you're intellectually interested in it. Like that doesn't work and it's not credible when you're, you know, trying to do something, whatever it is. Right. Whether you're trying to get that job or trying to start that company or whatever. So so your interests have to dovetail. And I tell my students this all the time. They have to dovetail in some credible way with your experience and you can shoehorn it it's never going to be perfect. Right. Like there's, you can, you can shoehorn it, but it's got to, you have to be able to tell a story that, 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 that is coherent as it relates to like your past, present, and future as an individual and as a business person. Yeah. Um, how do people find out about Metaprop? Well, Read the industry trade rags. We try to get ourselves into the industry trade rags, uh, you know, all the time. So in the UK, that's, you know, States Gazette, right? We try to be in that. And uh, then we try to get into the more general publications, too. Uh and, you know, in the States, we're in the real deal all the time and Commercial Observer and um, Inman and uh, CRE Tech and PropMoto and uh, Occasionally. You know, if it's a really good day, we see ourselves in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal or something like that. So so we're in the papers a lot. Um, we wrote this book, you know, so that we could get out there. So the book is available, uh, PropTech 101, uh, Turning Chaos into Cash Through Real Estate Innovation. Uh, that's available on Amazon. It um, is indeed. I can and, that. Uh, I just bought it. So <laughs> it's available in American and British English. Um, <laughs> we're working on the audio book uh right now as well uh it's available on kindle uh and hardcover um we're hopefully going to get some opportunities next ne- we're we're pretty focused on the audiobook right now but 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 hopefully going to do some translations um uh uh as, as down the road as well um you know hopefully into uh, japanese and german and um a couple languages where we where we have a lot of uh enthusiasm uh, uh for what we do in in, in those countries um and, uh, how else? I mean, yeah, I mean, you can, you can, you can always, you know, LinkedIn is not ideal for me. I get like 200 spam messages a day, but right. you know, what email me, I mean, cool. I'm not going to give out my email address on the podcast because one of the ways I, I ferret out good entrepreneurs from bad ones is a bad entrepreneur will say, well, I can't call cool email that person. I don't know their email address. Right. What do you think a good entrepreneur would say? <laughs>
1: I'll find out. <laughs>
2: how do you yeah good entrepreneurs say i'm gonna try a hundred different email addresses until I get the right one <laughs> all
1: right okay so the end that you know, to try try to fail try and fail uh, like it yeah
2: look it's it, it's hustle man it's willingness yeah. to embrace fit like part of the problem and and i get you know when i when I talk to European entrepreneurs i i i i hear this a lot you know one of the things that holds back the venture capital industry in the UK and continental Europe is a, is a, and it's, this is changing very quickly, but, but a, a, a previous hesitance to fail and you have to be willing to embrace failure and then just get right up and, 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 do it again. I mean, we've funded entrepreneurs who fell flat on their face in their first startup, but we're convinced that because they learned what they learned that the second time round, they're going to get it right. So we'll back them again. Whereas the culture for too long in Europe has been, you get one shot and if you fail, you're done. Like you have to, you're going back to, you know, you're going back to Canary Wharf. Banking, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you don't get another shot. Like, and, and in the United States, frankly, there's the the scales tip to the other, like you get too many shots frankly, like it's somewhere in the middle. Like if you, if you, if you screwed up like three businesses as an entrepreneur, like you suck, like you shouldn't, you need to go back to a normal job. Like you should not keep getting funded. But so that, so I'm not saying that like the way we do it in the U S is like the best way to do it. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it's somewhere there's a, there's a balance somewhere between willingness to embrace failure and fail a bunch. And like, you know, Cutting bait when it's pretty clear that no one's ever going to have success, right? Yeah, it cuts both ways too. By the way, like, like they're like I've backed I've backed entrepreneurs who who have succeeded the first time and failed the second time. Yeah,
1: you know, Yeah, there's no guarantees. Um, business is unpredictable, right?
2: So um, no guarantees. No, that's... there's no guarantees. You see, you see the best teams on paper stepping up to the to the to the to the to the, to the wicket. I should say, and just just whip, we just say, whiffing. We can say they're just up. whiffing. We can say they're just whiffing at the wicket. Yeah. They're whiffing at the wicket. <laughs> so you never know. So, but uh, uh, I, my wife just called me on the other line, so I'm yeah, gonna. That's that's yeah, no my worries. cue to You're turn parting, into a pumpkin.
1: Yeah, no worries. So, just parting shot. Um, what do you need if
2: people are to reach out to you, Zach? What What do you need? The best way to get in touch with me is a warm introduction. So if you can find somebody who's already connected to me and you can meet me through them, I'm, I'm a hundred percent, always engaging on those. If you're going to cold email me, it's gotta be a really, really awesome cold email. It's gotta be really tight. It's gotta be really thoughtful. You've got to show me there's a reason why instead of spending time with my three young children, I'm going to spend time with you. (laughs) So it's gotta be really, really good. If it's cold. Fair enough. And I would say I respond to one cold email. One or two a year. Wow. Wow. Lovely. Well, and I, I get and I get about 40 a day.
1: Oh, OK, so warm introduction. It is presumably you are looking for entrepreneurs and you're also looking for funds for the investment fund. Or have you got enough?
2: Well, I, I, I am not allowed to comment on that per oh. SEC regulations. But what I would say is that I'm always happy to meet real estate investors who happen to have money. <laughs> okay very
1: well put very well put well i will not deny you from your your wife any longer i just want to say thanks so much for joining me today i really appreciate it zach it's been a thank wonderful.
2: you so much i've done a lot of podcasts and this one was super duper fun so appreciate your your verve and and bigger no worries good to
1: talk to you take care thank you zach but Bye. bye-bye Well, wasn't that a very fascinating conversation? I certainly thought it was. I hope you you stuck with it throughout the end because there were so many good things that came out of it. Obviously, uh, Zach is co-founder and part of a VC fund uh, in, in focusing on on uh, prop tech, uh, and with a forty million dollar uh, fund, writing half a million to one million dollar checks, as he as he put it, uh, to enable faster, better, cheaper technologies into the real estate sector. We talked obviously a lot about the business model, uh, what he's looking for, the prop tech scene in the first third or half of the conversation. But then as we got into it, there was quite a lot of things that really came out and a lot of things I just wanted to focus in on and what I would call transferable skills as I referred to in the introduction. So I think one of the key points was this. uh, He talked about this idea of I think it was misaligned um, expectations or misaligned objectives. And um, you know how we can you know, engage different stakeholders within an organization. In other words, not everybody is switched on by the same thing. I think it's overcoming misaligned incentives is the actual phrase. Not every stakeholder is, is motivated by the same outcome. I've been talking a lot recently with some of my apprentices about what I call the iceberg. And on, of course on the iceberg we have what's above the surface and what's beneath the surface. And we have that in organisations. We have that in people. And Zach, I think you know, I, th- I think one of his skills is to be able to read the iceberg beneath the surface. If I can put it that way, in my own terms, he used different phraseology. That was certainly something that came out of it. I think um, another thing that uh, we talked about was you know having a good grounding in life. And you know, we're not all blessed to have uh, you know a wealthy background and great education, but we can certainly improve ourselves. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I can take from that. So get educated, whether it's formally or informally. Um, Thank you for listening to this podcast, which is obviously part of that. But he also talked this thing about accepting people's generosity, didn't he? Uh, If people offer you something of value, don't be afraid to say yes. But equally, don't be afraid to ask for what you want as well. I thought that was a really interesting thing. And we talked about the Steve Jobs um, work experience at HP when he was 12 years old, if you remember. Another big point, hustling. And I've listened to Zach speak before and he talks about the hustle quite a lot. And it's basically putting yourself out there, working hard, you know, doing what other people are not prepared to do today to have a better tomorrow. Amplifying your voice, as he puts it, or leverage, as I would put it. Have people around you, have content marketing, um, have, a, have systems and technology to be able to scale. And of course, I thank Zach for coming on the podcast. And it's just an example of that, of course. Uh, He did talk about eating your own dog food a couple of times, but, you know, take your own advice. In other words, I think it was. But, you know, some of the great things came towards the end when he started talking about advice about how to potentially get started. And he talked about narrowing down into a niche, a really narrow niche and become the best you can possibly be. Now we can we can apply that to our own property business as well, can't we? Instead of being, you know, jack of all trades, we can be a master in our own particular field. So whether we want to be focusing on the property scene or be an entrepreneur or be a prop tech innovator, you know, it's the same thing. It's basically go into a narrow niche and be the best you can possibly be. I guess amplifying your voice at the same time. And um, the the you know, there's lots of things about contacting Metaprop that came out there. But I really enjoyed the point about being willing to fail. Uh, So put yourself out there, be willing to fail, but not too much, (laughs) as uh, as Zach uh, put it. So... um yeah, I think there was quite a quite a lot of uh, really useful points to take away. I don't want to get, take too long now in the summary. Obviously, it's quite a long conversation. I hope you really enjoy it. By all means, try and hack, uh, not hack, but <laughs> find out what Zach's email address is if you're a, a prop tech entrepreneur and you want to pitch him. Um, he also talked about a warm introduction. I don't know if me introducing counts, but you never know. So give it a bash. But hopefully that's been interesting and fascinating to get a slightly different perspective and if you sat there wondering, what has this got to do with me? Just rise up, rise to 35,000 feet for a second and just think, there's everything in here to do with you and me in what Zach was saying today. So uh, if you don't really know what I'm talking about, drop me an email. I'd be happy to get here, divulge a little bit more into what I'm talking about there. Given a few clues in the summary, Zach's spoken quite a lot as well. But if I just say he's an expert at spotting opportunities and raising money from people who can align to those opportunities, then hopefully you get my point. There we go then. So uh, that's all from this week. Uh, remember, if you want to talk about anything from today's show or just talk about property investing more generally, you know you can email me. Here is my email address, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. Of course, meanwhile, the show notes can be found over the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao ciao.